0: This is Fam-Electric Ghost, we're live on the air for the first time with Allison Graham. And uh, thank you for being on the program. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the stress illusion. And uh, this is the topic that we're going to get into, the stress illusion to fight the lies to keep you stressed. And this is episode 935 of the Fam-Electric Ghost podcast. We've been on the air since 2016, that's tracking on Apple Podcast. And uh, again, thank you for being on the show. We do want to mention one thing before we fully start, is we are um, a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that uh, up there, that link. And so if you use coupon code GHOST, you receive one month free premium subscription. We will be on Newsly later tonight as an audio version of the podcast. But then again, here we go with the stress illusion defy the lies to keep you stressed we maybe want to start with that topic or talk we talk about your background first before we get into that uh and then you have the floor
1: all right i'm in this is exciting 900 and how many 35 episodes 36
0: 36. 36.
1: <laughs> that's incredible i'm impressed yeah. okay well I, I got a lot a lot of shoes to fill here <laughs> in here all right so do you want yeah, me to so give how the background to oh i thought you were gonna give it okay sure so you want to know where i No. yeah you can start like
0: like what do you mean
1: what i mean so the stress illusion i believe yeah maybe
0: what do you mean by the stress illusion
1: Okay awesome i i really believe that we are taught as a society the way we're taught to deal with stress is flawed and we like society's stress culture is just through the roof people are going on stress leave they're burning out and from my perspective if if what we were being taught would work there wouldn't be so many people who are stressed And so if you think about how we're taught to deal with stress, we're supposed to exercise, we're supposed to breathe deeply, we're supposed to have time with friends, be optimistic, all of these different things, which is all really important for a healthy lifestyle. But if that was like, if exercising was the answer to not being stressed, then there wouldn't be so many people who are completely stressed at the gym. So, (laughs) Yeah, I am on a mission to change the conversation and it all began years ago when I was, I was actually told I was across from my neurologist at the hospital and I have post-surgical neuropathic pain. And he said to me, he said, "Allison, look, you're going to need to understand exactly what's happening here. Your pain is never going to go away. You are never gonna be off pain medication again. You're never gonna work full time again. And you need to reevaluate your expectations for your life. And I was like, it was a really tough conversation. And I left that hospital scared. Like I thought, oh my God, what if he's right? Like what if what if this is it? What if I only have two to five hours of functionality a day and I never get to work full time again? And so I went on this quest for myself to figure out how do I run a business, keep going with my dreams and everything and my goals and what I wanna do and have neuropathic pain. And that quest led me to more frustration than answers. And that became the foundation, the work I created in order to get through my own challenges. Is what ultimately ended up creating the foundation of what is now I refer to the stress illusion and my approach to solving for stress.
0: That's awesome because I I think you know a lot of people I've talked to have gone through like crucible moments and they you know been given these big um big a big lift like you know for me I had cancer when at age 27, a level three sarcoma. And I was either, I going to survive or not survive. You know, i mean, I'm 55, age 27, I survived it. But it made me think about the things I thought were impossible. Because there were a lot of people telling me like, oh yeah, you know, you're not going to make it or all or, the, or you should have different priorities. And I started to change what I thought was possible. And pre-cancer me wouldn't be on the mic. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have been, doing my music i wouldn't be doing this i wouldn't have gone i lived in japan pre-cancer keith you know my, my first name i would have never done those things so sometimes something happens it doesn't have to be as bad as cancer or, or what what happens but i think people get a wake-up call and they have to figure out what they have to do i think that seems like maybe common what, what you're talking about i think people have experienced and you have your own um you know means of of, of a, a identifying as a stress illusion i think i've actually experienced what you're talking about
1: <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because you're right there is that moment uh, that impetus that takes us in a direction that says i'm not going to take it anymore and the way i'm doing things is no longer going to work and what i love about what you shared is like you had this cancer diagnosis, which most people like, I mean, obviously that's a, a scary diagnosis. There's a lot of emotion that went around that I'm sure. And, uh, we could probably spend an hour talking about and unpacking that experience and, um, the, uh, my dogs for now decided that he's going to hang out with us here for this call, but I, he, he'll be fine. Good. Um, <laughs> the, what, what's interesting though, is you saw the blessing in it. It changed how you showed up in your life. And I think that that's the defining moment that people have in their life. They have to decide, am I going to go in the direction that the doctor tells me to go? That like, this is the end of my, you know, what I thought my life was gonna be, or am I gonna choose another alternative path and to be resilient?
0: Yeah, because you can get all these limitations. You know, I, I had people saying, Well, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. Like what I immediately went and did when in the middle of my cancer, I was a mountain biker and I went and bought a frame. Every week I bought a component. And by the time I was done with my treatment, I had a brand new bike. There was like a downhill bike. And then the first thing I did once once I was out of rehab, I started going to Vermont and doing the downhill. Now everybody told me, including my parents and everybody loved me. He said, well, you shouldn't do that because you had cancer on your back. and You should be like, you shouldn't go out and go, you know, if I said, why not? Because like, I want to live, I want to be able to get back in shape. And, you know, it was a choice I made. And, um, you know, there are people that will tell you like, oh, to be more careful. And maybe I was like the opposite. <laughs> I, I ended up saying like, why should I be limited? I should just go and do what I think I want to do within reason, but, you know, I did not feel like I had a ceiling, you know, I had to feel like, like I needed to show that I didn't, you know, and I could, I could break through it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting eh, how it just shifts your perspective and everybody seems to have an opinion about what we're supposed to do, right? Oh, don't work so hard. Oh, don't, you know, like uh, don't, don't push yourself to do that big, you know, marathon or the, the biking or whatever. And it's like, eh, you know what? You get to make your own decision and decide, decide what works for you. And so often we're, we're held back by other people's opinions. And so it, that's a, a really great point to uh, shift that and to choose your own path.
0: So what is personal capacity design? Like, how do you Uh, define what does that mean? Well, how does that impact your like mental health and happiness and stuff like that?
1: Right. So personal capacity from my perspective is how we allocate the limited resources we have each and every day to do, to think, to feel, and to be. And so often when, uh, people will come to me and they're like, okay, I'm completely stressed out. I've got to get better organized. I've got to be more productive. And I'm like, well, that's going to cover off what you do, right? We can streamline what you do and that's important. But what about what you think, what you feel and how you are, the habits and your essence around it? And so personal capacity design is a system I have where it's like, we actually look at how are you investing those resources? What are you doing with them as a whole? And then we strategically start to look at, okay, well, maybe I don't need to do that. Or maybe I'm feeling this, but I'm resisting how I'm feeling that. So I've got to process that so that it's taking away less of my capacity. And for every person, the journey is very different. I I have one client who uh, we did six months coaching together. And when we started, he was a numbers guy. So he's like, look, i estimate that i'm at 128 percent of my capacity or 100 yeah 128 and so basically for what he wanted to do and how much work he was doing like that he thought was appropriate for where he was at in his career and what he wanted how he wanted to spend his life he was maxing out plus way more so that meant not sleeping right enough not spending time with his wife not spending time with his kids And when we finished together at the end of six months, he's like, Allison, I've calculated and I'm only 38% capacity. And so we literally redesigned how he was spending his life, took away some of the angst Mm -hmm. right around the work, the worrying, the not making decisions fast enough, the, you know, ruminating on problems. And we eliminated it. And then now it's like, okay, now you get your bliss list and we can redesign what you're putting into your days. And like to me, seeing a client transform like that, where he felt like he was completely suffocating, and now he's like, Wow, I get to I get to decide what I'm gonna do is like that makes my heart sing. That's a pretty cool
0: deal. Well, that seems like it opens up like, you know, a lot of things that affect your mental health, your happiness and your overall career success. Because I think a lot of times if you're too pessimistic and then you're too like uh, tied to certain metrics, because I'm a, you know, part of my life is I'm a software designer. And we've got tons of metrics and we've got tons of things that we have to do. And then I do this music and I do the podcast. So I've got a bunch of things going on. But what I, I'm a Buddhist and what I do is I always like take time to meditate and chant. And, you know, I let things go. And so sometimes you have to let certain things go just to say, hey, you know, because a lot of when I was like in my 20s, a lot of us, you know, early software guys, we just sit for like six hours straight trying to code something. And then we started realizing that you get diminishing returns, that the idea of just sitting there straight doing it doesn't actually give you valuable work. It actually is better if you do a couple hours and walk away, maybe go to the gym, maybe go for a walk, maybe go play your guitar, then come back and look at it. And it's like the the elapsed time doesn't equal the quality of the work. That you have to get your mind to a place where you're not stressed out or you're not going to do good work. So I think that kind of sounds like what you were talking about with your client.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting though because like when you're in a maximum capacity or above and burning out, if you don't have the habit of exercise, adding exercise into your routine is is going to feel like you can't do it. And so one of the illusions for me is with with the system is that exercise is going to solve your stress problem. It's not it's going to make you healthier, it's going to release hormones that have already fired and maybe made you stressed. But to me, that's not fixing it, that's reacting to the stress pattern. And so when you think about, if, and this is like the irony of our lives, is there's so many people who spend nine to five creating stress, feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, feeling disappointed with their, their work, right? And just getting agitated all day long. And then they have to transition before they go home to their family and they go to the gym to release all that angst and that anger and, you know, those stress hormones. And then they go to the gym, but they have to do that, not because it's the healthy choice, but because they don't want to be grumpy bear when they get home and bring their work into their home life. And so it's Mm -hmm. You know, yes, like there's so many things we can unpack. Yes, you need to have breaks in the middle of the day. But what those breaks are, are different for every person. So some people work really well in a 20 minute block and then they need five minutes to re like, you know, sort of recharge of it. Other people like 75 minutes, other people it's 45 minutes. And this is part of the designing capacity that is so important for each person and for some people meditation is absolutely will like change their world for other people it will cause absolute anxiety and it doesn't work it backfires and so there's no blanket solution for every (laughs) one person
0: yeah
1: right yeah everybody's
0: so individual but then there's a lot the problem with sometimes the workplace They've got like set breaks, but those breaks don't really help certain people. Like, like right. a certain people, like having that set break doesn't actually, you've gotten it to the root of the problem. A lot of times we've gotten into this world where industrialization and modernization is great. Goes, oh, everybody's the same. Everybody gets the same thing. And then we find out really that there's a lot of individuality and everybody kind of needs a custom solution. But That's that doesn't right. work. but there are a lot of
1: people who want
0: to say everybody fits in the same rare peg in a hole and so
1: nobody's fit we don't fit (laughs) we need to get out but what's interesting is I would say let's say an office everybody breaks at 10 o'clock in the morning okay start at 8 30 10 o'clock to 10 15 everybody's got a break in that time between 8 30 and 10 there are people who are probably getting, having times when they're getting distracted and they're not, they're getting those diminishing returns if they're not taking a break. So break doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna get up and you know go have a drink or whatever. It could just literally mean I'm gonna shift my gears on my brain to look at something over here. So no distractions, no notifications for 45 minutes and then switching gears looking at all the notifications checking email getting into a different vibe maybe getting up uh you know i I stood all day and then i decided to sit down when i came back over to the computer for you like it's you know figuring out how can you get some movement how can you get your brain to disconnect so you can come back to the work you're doing and be more focused in in the meantime yeah and then take the break at 10 o'clock too why not but you may need to manufacture some little breaks in between if you're in that kind of an environment.
0: Yeah. I mean, I also I was in an environment where I was a road warrior and I was on the plane, you know, Sunday to Thursday, come home and then have to leave, you know, Sunday, come back Thursday and keep on doing that. And then you're, you know, that caused a whole lot of stress. And then, the whole thing with the pandemic is like, it didn't, it came down that you didn't really need to do that because I've been working like two and a half years straight remote and I don't have to fly to the clients anymore because they like, Oh, they don't want to pay for that anymore. And well, they don't, they found out they don't really need it uh, for what we're doing, but, but the whole idea back then, you know, and I did it in the nineties, it was, I was a big road warrior flying everywhere. And, and, um, it was just a expectation that you had to be in that kind of rabbit on a wheel or hamster that to show um you know what your badge of honor that you're willing to kind of put yourself through it
1: <laughs> i was talking with someone about this today because uh both, she's a colleague in the speaking industry we make our living speaking at conferences and you know i do a lot of virtual so it's it's a mix right but getting on an airplane and going and speaking at a conference like it's a it's a lot of energy expenditure. And so it's a real blessing to be able to do that and to be hired to speak. And I love it. And she's like, you know what? I don't think I can do it. Like, I don't think I want to, this was her perspective. It's like that road warrior lifestyle is too much for her. Like she's, I just don't want it anymore. So I'm going to focus mainly on virtual. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I like kind of half and half, right. Give me a few nights, out on the road not necessarily every week but you know do the virtual to support the in between is a nice little thing but COVID did open us up to that like there's no world in which some of the work i've done in the last three years would have happened virtually five years ago like it just wouldn't have and now i've spoken to hundreds of people at one time Mm -hmm. right here from this spot and it's been just as good connection and sure we don't have the the you know shaking hands and hugs and everything afterwards but it's still quite powerful to work virtually so i'm glad that we can do that
0: I like podcasting i got into it in 2016 and you know since then i've you know done hundreds of um shows with people around the world that you know when i was a musician i had to go and go to New York or go to Boston or go wherever I'm going or go to Japan, go to those places. And, and I started to do things where I was able to actually reach more people than I'd ever done physically. And then I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Not that I don't like doing the physical. It's cool. I mean, I'm a performer. There's nothing like a crowd, right. but to be able to have the impact through the podcast, it's a different thing. Um, and so that I've kind of embraced like your percentage of you know, we go when it's necessary for my music, you know, show up at a, at a stage and do a show because that's how you reach the fans. And at music today, that's how we make money. We make more money if we actually show up because oh, do you? everybody knows about okay. that with the writer's strike. But, um, the, the Hawaii, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we make more money. Yeah. You don't make money streaming, it's across the board,
1: <laughs> right? It's changed a lot, right? How how the money is made, and I, I guess it, as, for me as an artist, so a spoken artist and in many ways as a speaker and an author, and uh, I I like the bulk of my money is made. You're right when I'm in front of people, but I can do that virtually as well. And you know, you do get paid more when you're in person, but you know, sometimes the travel isn't worth it, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's just the the whole idea of exhaustion because the sense of exhaustion, I think that's the kind of like, I, I, there's a comment in your list of questions you like to answer, the how oh, can leaders did. overcome the sense of exhaustion? And I think people felt like you had to be a road warrior, that you had to kind of, you know, put the 100 hours and you got to go fly here, fly out of moments, notice, jump in the jet. Go to the client site work on the red eye you know deal with the problem deal with all the issues and to show that you've you're totally devoted right you know you you just sit there like i was in japan and people would just stay in the capsule hotel instead of going back home you know tons of the salary men that i worked with they they wouldn't leave they lived outside of tokyo but they would stay in tokyo all week in these capsule hotels just because they felt like they had to show dedication and you know they wouldn't see their families i was like wow that's pretty that's pretty pretty dedicated (laughs) but um you know as I i think there's a point where that stress it does mess you up
1: for sure and so it's interesting because if you love that so imagine there's somebody who's staying at the capsule because they're kind of an introvert and they really don't want to go home and they would prefer to just leave the kids and not have to hassle and, and focus on the work. And then they're totally present as a parent on the weekend. Well, then that works for them, but it doesn't sound like most people were doing that out of a really designed perspective. It was more out of obligation, more out of trying to keep up with the Joneses and appearances and all of those things. And that to me causes destructive stress. And I think it's important to talk about stress and how we define it Yeah. because it, it tends to be a bit of an interchangeable word in our world. So you can, you know, anything can be called, oh, that's stressful. Oh, that's stressful. And I really challenge people to choose a better word because it may not actually be stressful. It might be hurtful. It might be fearful. It might be, uh, you know, many, many different circumstances or, or a certain uh, different adjectives, depending on the circumstances and your perspective doesn't necessarily mean that everything is stressful. Because there's, in my model, there are three kinds of stress. And by understanding these three kinds of stress, we can change our relationship with stress. So the first is recognizing that there is empowering stress. Good stress, we, in, you know, formal circles, they would call it you stress, like as in eureka and, you know, like euphoria and like a really good, good stress. I call it empowering. And these are the times when you're under pressure and it's like you're trying to hit a target, you are trying to make a deadline, you're working on some code and we're just like so into it, or you're in the flow state when you're creating a song or a poem or writing. Like for me, when I write an article and time goes by like that, that's actually good stress and motion. And we need that. We can vibe on that and it can drive us and make us feel really like in flow. So not all stress is bad. So there's that. And I believe we can design that into our days so we have more of it. Then there's the opposite side, the destructive stress, the stuff that makes us feel overwhelmed, anxious. It is like I have a whole metaphor about how that's created, but it's the stuff that is actually like when we hear doctors say, oh, you're under a lot of stress and it's, you know, bad for your health. It's not the empowering stress. That stuff's good. Well, that lights you up it's the destructive stress and that in my opinion is self manufactured and so most models have this good versus negative stress and my perspective is no we actually have a third bucket and i i figured this out when i was in a situation where i was feeling really anxious really stressed and i'm like oh my gosh like what's wrong like i know all these strategies like i should feel Better, right? And I was judging myself, which causes destructive stress and going around in the loop. And I realized, oh, because we need to account for the third bucket of stress, and that is survival stress. Survival stress, it doesn't matter how good you are at all of the stress management techniques, at managing your storyline, at doing any of that stuff, if you're in danger or someone you love is in danger. You can't escape it. So when you start thinking about someone like like you, you had your cancer diagnosis. Well, if you didn't feel some level or of intensity around anxiety and worry and oh my gosh, what's happening and like feeling unsettled and unpeaceful when you've been diagnosed with cancer, then you would be a robot, right? Like that's not how it works so you can't escape that but when we face situations that are survival stress related so you or someone you love is in danger then we can use the power of empowering stress to get all our work done to go and flow to sort of shrink the amount of time that it takes us to do things and then we can be sure that we're not causing extra destructive stress which makes survival stress harder than it needs to be
0: Hmm.
1: can you see how that like would change how you perceive stress when you think of it in those three different buckets and you're like okay i'm feeling survival stress oh yeah this sucks it's awful well yeah but you got to feel it you got to go through it you got to deal
0: with it well that's like the life life stress like there's certain life events you can't avoid You can't avoid the things that you can't control. There are external environmental things that happen Or internal, like the cancer, I couldn't control that. You know, I I take my doctor's advice. That's how I controlled it. I took the plan. I I went and got multiple different uh, options to figure out how to solve it. And I tried to think logically, but I mean, I was, I was, I was freaking out. Uh, I, I'm 27 years old, and I don't expect to have a level three. So, I gave myself something to to shoot for, like building a bike, like getting a, a new synthesizer, and then saying instead of saying, "Well, I'm I'm gonna die," you're like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna play that synthesizer. I'm gonna get to that bike." I gave myself a positive thing to work toward. Yeah. So, I think what I tried to do, and even today. Like as a musician, you know, I, I write to kind of as a cathartic thing, a lot of creative people, we take the things that stress us out and we turn them into art. Like most of the artists I talk to, they take things that were very deep to them, very affected them and you know, the negative or melancholy or angry or happy, whatever, anything that affects you, whatever emotion it is, you can turn it into art and being creative. We, I use that as a kind of cathartic stress reliever because it just takes that energy and flows it into something more positive because it becomes a piece of art and then i use that that you know in my in my day just to kind of even myself out that's why you know my recording studio is right behind me because i like being able to go to it whenever i want so i don't have to say give myself an excuse that i can't get to it
1: right which is really great yeah, so look I at Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift has managed to like hone the angst <laughs> to create art, right? And I think every one of us uses, if we're in touch yeah, with our emotions, got that. We use got that.
0: Those she
1: just to fuel, right? I think did we lose signal? Yeah, no, we're good. There you're back. You kind of cut out for a second, but I got you back
0: yeah it's a little glitch yeah yeah okay. she's amazing because she went you know she's gone going back and re-recording all of her albums and she's you know that's a lot of work to go back and re-record all your albums just because monetarily she wants to own the masters i mean people wonder why she's doing she's doing that for there's a monetary reason there's an artistic reason she didn't have a good contract so she has to redo and so you know she takes the energy to do that and do a world tour you know, that's a lot, a lot of artists don't do the level of work she's doing. You I mean, guys, oh. people like Prince did, but um, she's, yeah. she's putting a lot of work in, but she does, you know, she probably finds it cathartic, you know, to do that because she's owned in her life. She's owned in her work.
1: Right. And she's probably, well, we don't know. I I don't know her, but you, you don't, but you can observe how she's in flow. So, Like when she's in her art, like when she's performing and all of that. But like, think about our own days, right? Like if we can find time when we're chasing a deadline that's reasonable, we've got a goal, like I'm going to finish this project or I'm going to work on this thing and we have accountability. So maybe it's a client or a friend who we say, Hey, I'm going to get this to you. Come on over and listen to my new song or whatever it is, uh, tomorrow night, then you're under the pressure to get it done. And you can manufacture that flow state into your days. So Mm -hmm. it's one is like yeah, I mean yeah, you can
0: you can be yeah. But sometimes, yeah, you can be your own worst enemy. You know, you have to kind of like you said, a lot of things you can self sabotage. You can create a lot of that stress. By you know having unrealistic expectations, if you don't know yourself, you kind of got to get to a point. You look in the looking glass. You know, being a you know poet, the you know, Victorians had this idea: of looking glasses to kind of self reflect. And do you have goals that are reasonable that you can actually hit, or do you always put stuff in front of you that is so hard to hit that you create unnecessary stress? You know, because I've seen people do that. I've seen people like go and say, I know who they are. And then they say they can do something. And I was like, I know it takes him three weeks to do it. And he said, he can do it in one. He's not going to hit it. And then he's going to get a lot of stress because like, he's not going to hit it. And yeah, I know and he's that, not going to hit it, but he doesn't that's know. Exactly right. For some reason, or he's over committing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And it's how you take something that could be empowering stress and turn it into destructive stress. So we should talk about that model because the way I look at it is, you have around everything you do, you have some sort of an emotion. And what happens is those emotions are often misplaced. Okay, so we'll we'll unpack that in a second. And then you have around everything, you have thoughts and storyline that accompany everything you do. And those thoughts, often default to negative okay so that makes it harder to deal with if we're leaning negatively and then you have that next layer which is these barriers to performance or the habits that ultimately are unhelpful in helping you do the thing you want to do and so those would be unrealistic expectations not setting boundaries saying yes when you wanted to say no uh, beating yourself up, having un, like unkind thoughts or being cruel to yourself, long, long, long list of barriers that can be a part of it. And when you add those elements onto anything that you do, we make it harder than it needs to be. But another one of the illusions is that, well, like if we take each one of those, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take and I'm gonna pick on something you said earlier if I have permission to do that, may I can i can I push back on something because you said, well, you gotta let it go. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because I used to try to I used to be told to let things go too. but when you're dealing with survival stress issues, you can't let it go. Because those are the very things that will often, the things that are outside of our control are the very things that we like are defined by. They're the things that light up our soul. They're the things that we are part of like the biggest part of our human experience. And we're taught and you know, this is just how it is. Oh, ignore it, let it go. You can't control it, forget about it. And I'm like, that's called denial so emotionally it's really not helpful to just let something go not only and and then what happens is when we get into that it's like people aren't processing the true emotion and then they're trying to let it go and they say oh i don't care about that or i, I forgot about that or i'm letting it go and it's like but you're really not because it's actually inside of you so uh, my perspective is you've got to process it we have to be okay with the uh with the hardest emotions so that our bodies, our minds, our souls can feel it and allow it to give it the space to fuel, like to be in motion and to be released. So instead of let it go process. So that emotion, because I think what's happening a lot in this society right now, and I've seen it and I've been guilty of it and, uh, as well is let's say we're really afraid about money or a cancer diagnosis or something that is survival stress related. So related to your danger and you have something legitimate that you're feeling very fired up about. Okay. And then you get into, uh, onto the highway or, you know, you're pulling into the drugstore. And somebody cuts you off and it turns into a big road rage in, incident. Well, you're probably not that, not you, I mean, individuals like out there are probably not that upset about the person who just cut them off. Like, okay, well, they're a bad driver and they didn't see you. And on any good day, you might just go, okay, whatever. And forget about it. But because you're in that hyper fearful state. Of whatever the survival stress issue is. You react. You push. And then it becomes. You create a problem. Where they didn't need to be a problem. All because you weren't waking up. In that day. And whenever you know you start to get upset about something. That's a big deal in your life. And actually going wow. I'm really upset about that. And feeling it and processing it. And going into it which allows you to not actually take it out on unsuspecting innocence.
0: Yeah, so there you're not, you don't let go the the, the 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 impetus to that incident. You have to kind of go into it. I think yeah. as a creative person, you know, when, when we write music, a lot of the artists I talk to, we take those, those moments that were making us feel anxious or angry and we turn it into, we try to process it into the, into the art form, you know? So I, I, I probably like, you know, you let it go is more like, uh, like you're going to have an argument and it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to do it. Then you back off. It may kind of let go that I was kind of referring to, but you know, like if you have a thing that you need to address, you should probably address it. But like a, something that there's is an in the an main argument that i don't really need to get into i could like let that go being like a buddhist kind of let that go and like kind of like roll off it kind of from a buddhist perspective is that maybe you like uh, water the Thing i would kind of get to
1: yeah well but even there i would look at that and say okay and I, like yeah, you mind know, i kind of argue with the buddhist but, philosophy i get it i just i would say if something is causing you angst and you want to fight about it i i don't necessarily think you need to especially what it is but i'd be really curious what the thing is that's triggering like what is the thing that is giving you the cue that you're getting angry and i'm like let's lean into that be aware of that so that you can process that thing or recognize are you having an unrealistic expectation the guy, one of my clients, she's, you know, her and her husband are going through different things. And I'm like, okay, so you're constantly irritated and getting angry and responding in a way that you're not happy with. And we're trying to shift that. So what, what is the expectation that's happening around all of those moments that you're you're firing in a way that you're not happy with? And it's like, okay, we'll just let it all go. But yeah, but there are actually things that are bothering her. And so it's like, when we were able to unpack the things that were bothering her, now she's free. Now she's free because she's no longer recreating the same thing and trying to push it down or forget Mm -hmm. about it because it was constantly in her face. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a yeah, that, to, the, to that's the
0: kind of thing like you want to unpack and kind of through a therapeutic kind of session or through, through like, um, dealing with a counselor is that, you know, not, not that you're going to stomp down those things, you know, you let it go through, but maybe in the right place, you know, like, not that you're never going to address it, but address it at the right time in the right place instead at the wrong time in the wrong place.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and this is the thing the misplacing of the emotion is what gets us into trouble. So, if you're angry about this thing and you get into this little thing over here that really isn't related, but you take out your anger and your emotion and the intensity over here, that's what ends up causing a lot of the destructive stress. Right? So, yeah,
0: yeah. I think we see that people are so. Uh, You know, out out of sorts that, you know, you get these hair trigger events that you're like, why is this person acting like this? You know, they they just out of nowhere, they're just going off, off the handle. You hear about it on airplanes. You see it at restaurants, you know, people just going like that's not appropriate. But there's this buildup that they're not addressing. And then it just happens. Not that it just happened, but it happened because of a reason. There's probably a whole bunch of stages that they went through that you didn't see, and now you're seeing it. So it's not out of nowhere. It's some, it's coming out of somewhere. Um, that's right.
1: And, and I believe that it's coming out of a place of not processing emotion effectively when it happens. So there's probably, and some of those cases, obviously there's mental illness situations, right? And some of them are legit, like you know they've been wrong, and maybe that's just the anger of that moment. But many of those situations are exactly what you're saying. I think is basically we're we're seeing the product of potentially days, weeks, months, even years of not effectively processing emotion. In a way that allows it to dissipate and be healthy emotion like we need every emotion like i like i used to think we had to be happy every day and like all the time and if i wasn't happy i was failing in life well that's not how it works right happy is one emotion but we only know happiness because we know sadness We only understand what joy feels like because we understand despair. We need the opposing views in order to, to actually understand and feel the fullness of the human experience. And so often we're taught like, push it down, push it down, push it down. Don't cry. Don't cry. Well, okay. But that's a natural reaction. We need to cry. So I think as years yeah. of I mean I think down, artists sometimes we go ahead.
0: Well, a lot of times as artists, like if you'll you'll find a lot of artists that will say, if I'm happy, I do my worst work. Like like yeah. a lot of famous musicians and singers, songwriters, like James Taylor, there's a story. Like, like when he was doing Fire and Rain, he's going through a lot. He had addiction problems, all kinds of problems. Some of his greatest music were when he wasn't personally in a good place. Then when he got married and was happy, he did a record. And then the critics panned it. He was actually happy. For the first time in his life, there was a documentary. And he was saying, I was very happy. But then my work, people had you were used to my work reflecting this kind of sadness or despair or the, what he was able to convey. And then they didn't like when he was happy. And then he had to right. deal with that as an artist well, how do I deal with that?
1: <laughs> I remember watching I think it was an interview or was it reading an article about Carrie Underwood okay you know Carrie Underwood so she when she got married and had a kid and everything she got really happy exactly what you're talking about and all of her songs were this like you know, breakup and everything and then she became very um You know in love and it was it was you could see the tone change like to your point right and she found that when she did so two black cadillacs was a story about somebody else who was having angst i use the word angst a lot i love it i think it's a fun word but it feels awful um but she would tell stories about bad stuff to create that electricity in the anyway so that was just that one phase in her career that i'd watched Mm -hmm. i think i watched it anyway but to your point it's like imagine though people who aren't artists how do they unpack this how do they unpack the emotion because like i can do it by writing like that's my my creative outlet Uh, or coaching people or being on a podcast or whatever, like, that's my way you do it through your music, like recording ideas and things, but how do people do it when they don't have it? They don't have that creative outlet. And so many people have shut off their creative outlet as part of their, you know, getting, getting into the grind of life. They don't have time to do the creativity. And so I, I mean that's a problem. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing such a influx of really, really tough. Yeah, thing. a lot of
0: people feel like it's, it's like being an adult. It, uh, what I found is a lot of people feel that it's like it's like uh the inner child or it's childish to go for that artistic type of thing, type of um mindset because they're taught, you know, because of their their parents or their grandparents or they're given these truths that are or you know, their beliefs but they think they're truths. Oh, that's like silly. It's silly to think that you should write a song. It's silly to paint or be an artist you got to do something more productive. And you know, that's all foo-foo. You, you can't do that. That's not, so people kind of repress those outlets and they don't think it's actually appropriate. So it gives and them then, no, no outlet because they're right. also given like a dogma or control. They have, where, where do they go? Cause they have nothing, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, and they're, you know, often gr- like if they're climbing the corporate ladder or they're in a job that is like a grind where they've gotta like perform all the time and they don't have that creative outlet or they don't have something in order to effectively process what ends up happening is they like most of my clients come to me at a point in their life where they're like, I feel like I'm suffocating and I'm not willing to spend the next decade of my life the same way the last three decades of my life have been spent. And some of them, will ask them, one of the exercises I do with my clients, and I'll encourage your listeners yeah, so. to do this as well, is to create a bliss list. So if you had an extra hour today, what would you actually do with your time that would light your soul on fire? And most people can't answer the question. And maybe they can give me one example or whatever, but I I end up having my clients like write out as many possible, minimum of 20 ideas of things they can do if they had 15 extra minutes, an hour, a day, a weekend, a week, whatever, so that they could actually know what to do that's gonna give them an outlet that doesn't work if they want to not work. I personally, I would work all the time because I love it um but like this is work for me so it's pretty hard to call it work but you know i i think most people do not know and do not remember what gives them that outlet and then they got to spend their you know late 40s early 50s 60s yeah finding it again
0: It's like, you know, people don't feel like, like for mental health compared to like your medical, physical, people don't actually take care of it in the way that they should. You know, they, they don't think of it as real when they should, because it's all mind, body, heart, soul. It's all part. It's not just like your mind. It's not just your body. It's your heart and your soul. It's all of it. Right. So if you have any part of that leg, like that whole that whole structure and you don't take care of it you're going to end up hitting the wall at some point you're going to hit the wall so you know and then if people don't some people because of certain belief systems they don't they don't believe that there's anything that's real about that one part of that not feeling right or not being at at its optimum you know position because you're not taking care of it and so so t- you, you'll finally, you know, run it, end up having to go to a therapist or a doctor or, you know, a life coach because you hit that wall and you finally hit it and you're like, oh, there is something wrong. Yeah.
1: It's interesting because there was a, a an article that I read today and it was in medium and it's on my LinkedIn. So if people want to go to my LinkedIn, um, it, you're welcome to come and find me there and connect and say where you heard me and all of that. But anyway, so I wrote about it. And it was uh, by an entrepreneur who, he's like, I've seen burnout. I've experienced burnout because I shared it over on LinkedIn. And it actually changes people's personality. And I was like, oh, yes, it does. It does. And the issue is people are so caught up. When people are stressed and they're suffocating and they're not able to deal with it they often don't even have the space to realize that they're in the weeds of it and therefore they need to come out of it and that's one of the biggest issues because it's like and especially the more successful you are the more i start hearing things like oh it's just the price of success Mm, no it doesn't need to be uh or it's just the way life goes right there's no that's not how it needs to be like it may have been your reality so far But you can pull out of it. You can change how you're interpreting everything that's happening around you, so that you're not feeling this overwhelming sense of stress. Totally possible.
0: I think a lot of people don't realize. I think a lot of people don't realize how much control they have, right? Because they've they've kind of set up these paradigms. They've set up these, you know. You know, I I I, I've said like pre-cancer, I had these glass ceilings. That kind of just broke through because i you know i had this mindset and then i was like oh that wasn't really that wasn't really i was self-limiting and like why was i doing that because i didn't even think it was possible so there's a lot of people that create their own hell you know it's it's in poetry it's in philosophy there's all kinds of ideas like you you could you totally can create that environment it doesn't have to be anything external you you can create that that problem and then like you can solve that problem but if you never were taught you got a belief that you think is the truth that tells you you can't change it like you've got to go to the core of that and figure out the foundation it's like well you got to challenge it
1: right and you have to look at your life and your patterns objectively because most people are like, oh, it's about what's happening around me, the issue. But actually, two people can experience the exact same situation and have a completely different stress reaction to it. To one person, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, we're gonna deal with it. And to the other person, it's like the whole world is caving in. And the best example of this is an airport because every, like since the beginning of air transport, right, air travel, there have been weather delays, mechanical problems, long lineups, lost luggage. That's just how travel works. You're a road warrior, you know that. And so I'm constantly like just mesmerized (laughs) by, the dramatic response response to the repeating reality of air travel by travelers it's like i just sit back i mean i need popcorn sometimes in those hallways i'm like bring it on watch this happen oh that's about to transpire and it, yeah, it's like you didn't it's not expect
0: that.
1: <laughs> like you could have booked a different flight or made other like you know what i mean like if you were that i remember once there was a guy who was going to a meeting yeah. and he we were both flying to montreal from london and it was like yeah he's like oh yeah when i get there i've got about 30 minutes to get from the airport to the hotel and i'm like yeah that doesn't like first of all it's a 45 minute drive and he's like oh yeah but i didn't want to go earlier and then the plane was delayed so it was like he was just Angrier and angrier and angrier. I'm like, there were three other flights today and you could have taken any one of them, right.
0: And it's just, but
1: this is the thing. And like, think about, um, another example is the movie, right? Some people it's a four month, absolutely stressful situation. And other people, they pack up and off they go. Like, it's not about the circumstances that are happening around you. It's not about your health diagnosis. It's about your pattern and how you respond to those things that are happening. That's the issue. And that, I don't actually, I think is another illusion. I don't Uh, think we have full control about our (laughs) response. I actually believe we have very little control about our response until we decide to get objective about it, observe it, and create steps to change it. Because most of it is on default, and we're just going to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until we actually yeah. interrupt the pattern.
0: Especially if you got that fight or flight hormone triggering, like, you know, cause the, you know, a hunter gatherer kind of situation we're getting triggered by, you know, those, those hormones, the, the fight or flight for things that aren't the wolf. It's not right. the saber tooth tiger, but it, feels like it, your body is acting like it is you know right. and so then your people are like well that's it's mental but yeah well things are mental they got so it goes back to the mind body soul spirit as buddhists we believe that a lot of intangible things have a lot of power that some people might think that only the physical things have power and you know spiritual things have power but some people don't believe that and so they, they, they get caught up in their kind of you know belief systems that they can't get out of and so like they're stuck on a path until you actually challenge it you're going to be on that path you're going to be doing the same thing over and over and over again until you actually stop to say why am i doing that i keep getting the same result that i think i was going to get something else
1: (laughs) yeah definition of an insanity right and is interesting because i always imagine people running around office buildings as if bears are chasing them and wolves are chasing the bears right like i mean that's the level of stress response people are having to a to-do list like think about that i get so much work to do and then they're like totally overwhelmed and stressed and it's like yeah that's not a bear that's actually not you in danger now if you consistently do not get your work done. Maybe your danger is, is that you're going to lose your job or lose your client. And, but even then that's just an obstacle that we got to overcome. But like, if you're so caught up and on autopilot and repeating these patterns and not coming out of it, like that is on you. But here, here's the thing going back to the, can we actually control our response? I, I think so often we've had these repeating patterns ingrained for decades. Like how you respond from the stress pattern is probably happening over and, over and over and over and over and over again. And one of the challenges I see is that when people do step back and they say, I'm going to make a change, their instinct, to your point about flight, fright, flight, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, which is, you know, if you look at all of the four F's around that, the hormonal response around like true danger survival stress the thing is is it's not like interrupting in that second and choosing a new path is really hard and it's going to take a very long time and so what i am trying to get people yeah. to do is like let's say you you're a warrior, and that's your habit that's your barrier to performance and so everything whether it's survival stress or just just like a normal thing that needs to happen which is an obstacle you worry about it. And you're like, I'm never going to worry again. And I'm like, bull sugar, you are going to worry again. It's going to happen. (laughs) And so instead though, instead of worrying about something for three weeks, can we worry about it for two? Can we worry about it for one week? Can we get it down to three days, two days, one day, one hour, 10 minutes, and then one minute, we can turn it off. One of the principles in my book, Take Back Your Weekend, around problem solving, is the second response is the priority. Get to it ASAP. Because if you're like, I'm never going to worry about it again, mm-hmm. and then you worry, and then you go, oh, look at me, I'm worrying. I guess it's inevitable. I'm always going to be a worrier. Well, okay, that's fine. But can we interrupt it and then call that success? As opposed to just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, screw it. Yeah, that's it. I'm always going to be a warrior. So not judging yourself, another layer of destructive stress, is for falling into old patterns is really, really critical to, the, to full growth. Like we have to allow ourselves mm. to make the mistake and correct the mistake and celebrate the correction, not the elimination
0: of the habit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of life is you're, you're never going to be perfect. You know, part of what we do as artists is like imperfections actually make our, our art, but there's this kind of modern concept that you should try to make it perfect because we have all these computers. And I think it kind of destroys the kind of nature of of, of music. You know, I'm a big pur- um, purveyor of using older tools that are less perfect that actually make the sound better because it, you allow micro timing errors and tonal changes that some people say like, well oh, we got to clean it up and make it anesthetic and i'm like well, that's not the way life is life you know, like a lot of art is because it's moment in time it's like extremely consciousness and it's that moment that you capture and that's what's pretty that's what's beautiful but if you to overanalyze it with your right with the with your brain logical side of your brain to kind of ruin it so you have to learn to let go in that way of the this mindset of trying to make it perfect and letting your kind of artistic mindset of like let it flow so in that mindset you don't overanalyze oh i hit the wrong note i in the wrong key i did this no just let it go and 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 actually try to make something beautiful by not over analyzing so i mean it's kind of Counterintuitive, but it um, it's a little bit what you said and a little bit not what you said.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great when it comes to art. But um, it's true because you you do, like there are so many pieces in there, right? Like the over analyzing is going to cause destructive stress, but the not analyzing is going to keep you stuck in patterns, right? And when it comes to art, I like those who perform live, they know, like there's always I used to say um I forget where I first heard it but this is like when I I used to be so afraid of public speaking like the fact that I earn my living now speaking at conferences and like for companies is shocking like I was not good but anyway there was always the speech I was going to give the one I actually gave and then the one I obsessed about on the way home to the steering wheel, <laughs> right? The one I gave to the, the speech I gave to the steering wheel on the way home. And then there was the obsession for weeks gone by, like afterwards going, oh my God, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And now I've gotten to a point where like, even in this podcast, I've said things and it's, it's like, there's a bit of a delay on uh, stream error, right? So sometimes I'm like, okay, well, and like, there are a million different ways it could have, I could have done better. Right. I'm sure. I But I won't even bother thinking about that because it's like, how are Mm -hmm. you in the moment when you go and you do a show and you serve that audience in the way that you serve them? That's what needed to happen in that moment. There's not one person who's sitting there. going, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they, you know, missed that note or didn't play that song or they put it in that order when the set list was supposed to be like that. Like nobody's thinking that they're in their own heads. And so as artists, we can, and creators, and we can just beat ourselves up for what we did instead of just being, and sinking so much into the mm-hmm. moment that you don't even have to analyze that after. Make sure you always want to get better. And, you know, if you can look at it from a curiosity lens, instead of yeah. a judgment. But it's like a real
0: out. freedom. It's a sense of freedom when you don't, it's a sense of freedom as you get older, you know, or maybe you're even if you, if you, it depends on where you are in your head. You could be younger and have this mindset. I've run into young artists that are totally kind of free. Don't over don't seem to be overthinking or worrying about it. And I've run into older artists that have the same mindset. So it didn't really matter the ages is where they got to. They got to a point where they kind of they kind of like in the flow. You're either in the flow. Or you're not in the flow. Like it depends on where your head's at. You know, You could be any age to be in it. It just depends on how you got there. But we actually did hit our hour mark. Oh. And I want people to know that we have that com forward slash ghost uh, link. And so if people click that link, what what would they get? What, what they that can
1: out, sign too? up for my lift up. So every week I send out uh, an email that's going to give you some insights and I think it'll send you, uh, you know, let me know. We've mentioned a few things. We've got the barriers to performance. I've got a worksheet for that. So if that's helpful in any way, uh, let me know. I'm happy to send you that for free. And of course, when you're on the list, you're part of the lift up community and you get all the good stuff, all the good stuff first first dibs uh on different things and we'll probably put this podcast out on it too because it went live so i couldn't really but i we're gonna have it up on youtube aren't you you're gonna have it on all the different like stitcher and or stitcher anymore
0: yeah it's yeah you're gonna have yeah one thing yeah what we do is we we create uh give you a landing page that has uh, like all the major places that it is so the artist can go or your audience can go and watch or listen however they want to so it's on youtube it's on facebook it's on twitch it's on apple it's on amazon it's on multiple platforms so by tomorrow you'll get a landing page and you can give that to your audience and they can go wherever they want to on the Fantastic. landing page will be however they like to watch or listen to podcasts we we do that better a value-added thing by giving you that um but awesome. tonight we will give you the facebook and youtube permanent links directly after the show uh, and you can give people those who want to watch that right now. But the landing page gives people more options. But, uh, yeah, thank you for, again for being on the show. It's been great. It was a great Very conversation. Thank, you. Very, uh, I thank love, you. I love to have people that say uh, things I didn't know about or, or or didn't understand in the way that you uh, made me understand it. And I, that that's the point of talking to people. Yeah. So, well, and you've done <laughs> so I, many afters. I do the podcast. So thank you again for being on the show. <laughs>
1: Appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Have a great night.